Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I'm Carson Messersmith. We are here the week of November 21st, 2023, until that's it. That's it. Nothing. No, there were no surprises. No sneaky Friday opinions. <laughs> no sneaky... I don't know about you, but I did I did check uh, right before the uh, Husker game. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, well, you know, you should have just be... left there. You should have just kept checking whatever you were checking and not looked at the game. <laughs> that would have saved you a lot of misery. Oh, it was fun. I'm glad Nebraska fun. football's done. We no. don't have to talk about it on this pod. Now we can just talk about good things like Nebraska volleyball, Nebraska hey, basketball. You undefeated. literally just got back from the volleyball. I know, and it was wonderful. Great experience. Uh, yeah, although I will say it's crazy. This was like the fastest match in the history of the world. I mean, they swept Michigan. They were all pretty dominant sets. It was like we're in and then we're gone. Now what do we do with the rest of the evening? What, what did you do? We're old, so we went to the hotel and went to sleep. <laughs> That's Bo- wonderful. Boring. boring. Lame. Lame. Hey, you know what? It happens. Yeah. Uh, your priorities get straight. Yeah, you get um, aged. So we just got some Court of Appeals decisions here to talk about. So there's no ex parte summary. So should we just run right into the opinions? And yeah, see I think we, we just do? jump straight into it. All right, let's go. All right, so we start with State versus De Los Santos. And this is an appeal from the District Court of Scotts Bluff County um, and this is an appeal from a uh, motion seeking post-conviction relief following an evidentiary hearing, and uh, the uh, court of or the district court had denied uh, post-conviction relief. And basically, one of the big issues on appeal, or the big issue on appeal, was that De Los Santos had believed that when he waived his preliminary hearing, the state had agreed not to uh, pursue a habitual criminal enhancement. And so um, there's quite a bit of discussion regarding that because there was evidence from uh, De Los Santos in regards to uh, his belief that that was what the agreement was when he waived his uh, right to a preliminary hearing. However, when the district court goes uh, through everything, they found that um, it appeared that counsel had given him the opportunity all the way up until uh, the day of trial to still accept the offer that the uh, state had presented prior to um, the trial, which was to plead to a breaking and entering, and in uh, return, the state would not pursue the habitual criminal enhancement. Um, and so uh, here, the district court refers to emails that went back and forth between the prosecutor and trial counsel, which actually came um, in. There was some very interesting language because of the habitual criminal statute and what it's referred to colloquially in the profession that I will not say, but maybe if anybody wants to get a chuckle out of an opinion, I would uh, direct you to this opinion because, you know, it's something that we see in practice going back and forth with emails and uh, on the top of page five in this opinion, it's just kind of a fun little blurb. Context is important. Um, Anyway, so they uh, addressed those, looked at the facts um, and said here that there wasn't prejudice, that he uh, could have taken the plea at any point in time, that trial counsel Council did communicate that and that he was not entitled to post-conviction relief, and therefore the district court was affirmed. All right. I have another post-conviction. This is State v. Saros, and this was a post-conviction after a jury convicted Mr. Saros of manslaughter uh, following a motor vehicle accident. He was originally charged with motor vehicular homicide based on a DUI and DUI. And uh, following the jury trial, they acquitted him of the motor vehicular homicide and the DUI, but convicted convicted him of the manslaughter for the willful reckless driving, which is what they ultimately found. They Well, I guess they didn't specifically say it, but that was implicit in what they were charging. So the manslaughter was, uh, there was no proximate cause instruction that was given to the jury. And the uh, Mr. Saros here on post-conviction says that was uh, an issue that the failure to bring 
the uh, proximate cause instruction was uh, cause for prejudice, and but for that, there would have been a different result. So the uh, in addition to that, he says that the um, it was ineffective assistance of counsel for them not to argue about the constitutionality of the manslaughter statute being involved and the distinctions between the motor vehicular homicide statute and the DUI statute. He should have been allowed to plead or to be charged with motor vehicular homicide instead of the manslaughter. The court here found that the failure to bring novel or constitutional challenges is not an effective assistance of counsel. So we've dealt with those constitutional claims that are now being raised on post-conviction. Further, the court says that proximate cause instruction is not warranted here because there was no dispute as to the cause. There was no factual dispute about what caused the um, homicide, just simply the manner of the the, uh, state of mind or or otherwise of the defendant uh, in causing the homicide. So that was the issue. And further, that just because it said caused and didn't say proximately caused, it tracked the statute and uh, any error, I'm assuming, would have been harmless. So the um, judgment of the district court denying post-conviction relief was affirmed. Okay, next case we come to is Workman versus Hornady Manufacturing Company. And this is an appeal from the Hall County District Court granting summary judgment to Hornady um, and one of its employees, James James Washington. Um, And basically the issue here uh, was the fact that Workman uh, brought a suit alleging that Hornady was liable for her injuries pursuant to uh, general negligence theories of liability. Uh, However, she had already been awarded workers' compensation benefits uh, from uh, essential personnel, uh, which was a uh, staffing agency uh, that provided workers uh, to Hornady's facility. And here the district court basically granted summary judgment to Hornady in Washington, finding that it lacks subject matter jurisdiction over workmen's claims due to uh, the exclusivity provisions of the Nebraska Workers' Compensation Act. And so the entire argument on appeal is uh, basically whether or not uh, here, whether or not this was something that was covered by the Workers' Compensation Act, whether or not uh, the general employer um, uh, having a uh, an employee uh, makes them covered under the Workers' Compensation Act. Um, and basically, there's, there's a ton of evidence that seems like went back and forth here between uh, Hornady and Workman uh, arguing whether or not uh, she was actually an employee for um, Hornady and whether or not it should have uh, been covered under that. And uh, here there kind of was an interesting piece where Workman uh, had before final granting of, of summary judgment asked uh, for a motion to continue, basically saying that um, he they had not gotten enough discovery um, and that they were uh, needing more discovery in order to uh, determine exactly what the scope of employment or, or bolster their claims. And here they talk about the fact that uh, counsel was unable to articulate exactly what information he expected to gain uh, from further discover- discovery that would have created a genuine issue of material fact. And so that was kind of an interesting piece that I pulled out here where, you know, if you're, if you're getting later on in the stages of discovery um, and you're looking towards a summary judgment, you're thinking, hey, maybe I need some more discovery uh, in order to make a claim here. 
it's going to be something that you're going to have to probably articulate on the record in order to uh, both support that motion to continue and also um, articulate why your your legal theory is going to be bolstered by that factual evidence. Um, and here they found that uh, they did not have the ability to bolster that um, and uh, found that this was something that was covered within the scope of the Workers' Compensation uh, Act. And therefore, uh, there was that exclusivity provision um, and the district court did not did not err in granting summary judgment in favor of Hornady. Okay, next I have in Ray interest of Elena S. Um, this is the Nebraska Appley versus Chad S. Appellant. This involved a father's uh, termination of parental rights. Um, father um, appealed, mother relinquished, and it was involved in the juvenile uh, justice system. And, you know, there's some facts. These are always very fact-intensive. The facts here are interesting, to say the least. Um, I'm not going to go into the facts because it's not relevant to anybody else. I would say that um, there is some pretty strong language here that the evidence presented at the termination hearing revealed that Elena, the uh, child, desperately needs stability, permanency, and a caregiver who can meet her special needs. Uh, the father, Chad, has demonstrated his inability and his unwillingness to provide these things to Elena. Elena should not be made to await Chad's uncertain parental maturity. And that's reference to other stuff. But I, I think you can, you can glean out of that. Uh, some information that might be significant for your uh, current cases, but looked at, uh, you know, the strong best interest analysis with the factual determination and ultimately they uh, upheld and affirmed the termination of parental rights uh, regarding Chad. And that is the last case that we have. Is that point one? I think so. Look at us. Look at us. All it took was not having a set of Nebraska Supreme Court opinions, and we can make it. Let's give thanks for that. Right? That's true. You know, this holiday season, I'm thankful for you, Mr. Brand. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for this thankful podcast. Thankful for you, Carson. Uh, yeah, thankful for everybody who you know listens to us weekly. We appreciate. I can that. play Kumbaya. Yeah, I mean, look at this. We're getting too touchy feely. <laughs> Favorite Thanksgiving tradition? Oh, go. Um, growing up, it would have been the wishbone. Oh was, yeah, that's a that's classic. A that's an absolute competitive and very important. I mean, it basically determines your your fate for yes. you know, the the yeah. Um, and then We're it became months. Black Friday for a while, and then now Black Friday isn't really a thing anymore. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of fallen out. Yeah. So I don't know. What about you? Uh, napping. I think napping. <laughs> the Lions game and yeah, napping. there's nothing better than a, a good. <laughs> you know, I'm, I always hope that my Packers are on and I can enjoy a, a nice post meal nap. There's nothing better than that. Get it while you can, kid. There you go. <laughs> um, that's point two law review for this week. Brought to you by Anderson, Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Go back to episode one. Listen to the disclaimer. We have offices in Holdridge, Minden, and Kearney. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving.